0: Welcome back to the MarTech
2: Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Searchmetrics. Searchmetrics sets the standard for innovation in the content and search engine optimization industry. They support businesses who care about understanding both how to use content as a marketing channel and how to improve their organic rankings in Google. If you're an enterprise-level marketer, the Searchmetrics suite of software and services will help you optimize your existing content, help you understand what topics you need to cover next, and how to ensure that your writers produce effective content. There are billions of Google searches happening every day, and Searchmetrics gets your stories to the top. Today, we're going to talk about multimedia content production and syndication. In other words, storytelling. With us is Michael Green, the founder of Unfold Productions, which is an audio and visual digital media shop that builds content and websites for your organization's identity that are specifically tailored to your target audience. In our last episode, Michael walked us through how and why enterprise companies are creating podcasts as a marketing channel. And in this episode, he's going to talk us through some of the learnings that he's gained being a podcast host. Here's the second part of our interview with Michael Green from Unfold Productions. Michael, welcome back to the MarTech podcast.
1: Ben, thanks so much for inviting me back. It's a pleasure the first time around.
2: Of course. Great to have you here. And uh, in our last episode, we walked through some of the reasons why large companies are using podcasts and creating content to reach their customers. And I think the quick summary for the people who haven't heard that podcast is really twofold. One, people are using podcasts to build authority and position themselves as experts in a specific field. And that generally leads to sort of lead generation. And two, driving people through a sales funnel where people are presenting content to customers that they've already engaged with and trying to educate them on some of their products and services and connect them to their sales teams or drive them to a purchase page. With that said, today, I want to talk to you a little bit about the dynamics of podcast creation, promotion, sort of the mechanisms that you've learned to build in your podcast as a host that drive people not only to listen to your podcast, but to buy products and services. And let's maybe even talk a little bit about how to attract some advertisers. So let's start off just by giving us an overview of some of the podcasts that you work on personally that are for you and not necessarily for other companies.
1: So ones that we work on personally include the people behind the science podcast, the people behind the innovation podcast. We have also the excellent entrepreneurship podcast, and those are often selfishly aligned with interests that myself or members of my team have. And it's nice that it tends to line up with things that other people are interested in. So are you the science
2: guy? Or are you the entrepreneurship guy? Where do you fit in? Which one's your baby?
1: <laughs> My baby is on the entrepreneurship and innovation side. I have a business partner who's a neuroscientist. She's much brighter than I am. And she takes care of the science side, unsurprisingly. <laughs>
2: So tell me a little bit about some of the things that you've learned. First, let's start off about building the podcast listener base. Uh, You started off at some point with zero listeners, and obviously your podcasts have scaled and you're doing multiple ones. What are some of the tools of the trade to start growing your audience?
1: I think first, it's going to be a little bit of marketing advice, just like everybody always hears. And I just have to repeat it here is make sure that you're clear on who your listener is. I see many people struggle with their podcast because they're not sure what they're trying to do or who they're trying to inform or really what the end goal is. They just heard it was a good thing to do, started doing it, thought I could talk for 20 minutes about topic X. And while you might be able to talk about topic X for 20 minutes one time, that might become increasingly challenging as episodes click on by. So having a well thought out plan, the why you're doing it. And the why can also just be that you're very passionate about a specific subject. That's totally admissible too. So by all means, I love to see people that are charged with a mission or an interest, start their podcast and have them take off. More often than not, ours come part with passion, but part with a business purpose in mind. So how we approach them is generally One, can we justify the cost? Two, is this a subject matter we can talk about for 500 episodes and not hate ourselves? And three, why are we doing it? So when all of those things are clear, I think people will have a much easier time of both launch, but also continued growth. And then also, as you grow and keep on doing this, sometimes you might say, "Hmm, I'm on episode 900 and whatever. I think John Lee Dumas is a good example of this. He's in the thousands for Entrepreneur on Fire. And after a thousand plus episodes, I imagine you have to love what you're doing or have a clear purpose of why you're doing it. Otherwise, you're going to fizzle out.
2: Let's go a level deeper there and talk to me about the reason why you started your podcast. And since you mentioned the entrepreneurship podcast, who's your target audience and what are the things that you're trying to achieve by reaching them?
1: Hopefully this won't go ahead and run off all my guests, but one of the reasons I did start that was for networking purposes. It allowed me to speak with venture capitalists and other business owners and leaders that I would have no business getting an appointment with. That's number one. Number two, candidly, it's a good opportunity to refine your communication skills and improve those as well. Once you become a host of a show, you have to not only monitor and interpret what the other person is saying, but also plan out what you're going to say in response. And it becomes a good exercise in communication skills. So the refinement was an added bonus for me.
2: Am I supposed to be doing that?
1: (laughs) You're doing a very good job of that, Ben. No worries. And then the third part of that, as far as why, is I'm just an incredibly curious individual. And that curiosity has guided me to all sorts of topics. And entrepreneurship has just always been endlessly fascinating to me. And I think there's a lot of lessons that I as a business owner can learn from others and relate with them and truly understand what they've seen and where they're going and what their plans are. So that's one piece of it. So it's the selfish reason part of it, right? Mm -hmm. The second reason why from a business perspective is really our podcasts that we produce for ourselves serve as a great calling card for a specific vertical. So what I mean by that is we get quite a few clients from the various industries, whether that's more small and medium-sized businesses through the Entrepreneurship Focus podcast or science industry through the science podcast. It's a great lead generation tool for our production company, our agency services as well.
2: So essentially what you're saying is you've created these podcasts and position yourself as an expert in your case, in terms of entrepreneurship for your partner in terms of being an expert in science. And the people that are listening to those podcasts are good potential prospects to create their own podcast and you help them with that.
1: Correct. And then beyond that, there's also some opportunities for sponsorship. Although whether you're selling a suite of services or a package sponsorship, both take sales effort. And We found that early on, it was easier to sell the suite of services in terms of revenue per hour spent on that. But increasingly, we're finding that people are actually seeking out sponsorships and coming to us. So we have an added benefit of not only having leads and sales generated from that, but actually getting the shows themselves underwritten by interested parties that want to reach and connect with our audience.
2: So I do want to get into podcast monetization. And just to recap, when we were talking about sort of the ways to grow the podcast, the first thing that you said was, know who your audience is, know what you're trying to achieve. That seems like half of the puzzle to me. Being able to create compelling content at scale that doesn't drive you nuts to create, being ready to create 500 to 1,000 episodes is part one. Part two is getting those episodes to the people that you want to reach. So, talk to me a little bit more about the distribution component.
1: Before we go too deep in that, and maybe this is related depending on how we're thinking about that, the other pieces for growth that are quite important are one, just getting out there in terms of doing interviews on other shows, because that's where podcast listeners already are. They're listening to other shows. So strategically accept or seek out invitations from others to appear on their shows and be sure to share with people the information about your shows. And then the final piece of growing at some reasonable pace is regularity. Being sure that if you're a once a week show, you always publish once a week on Tuesday or whatever. Early on, because we had no shows in our stable, no calling card, People Behind the Science was actually a daily show that we produced. And we were able to maintain that pace for a number of months, I think three months.
2: So 90 episodes if you're doing a daily show for three months.
1: There we go. And that matches up with my recollection because I believe we switched over at 100 from a daily to a weekly show. And that was just for quality of life, if nothing else, because it was manic. But we got an immense amount of traction in those early days by having a daily show. So if you think there's an appetite for the content you're producing and you can stand to do it, go for a daily show or a higher frequency show than once a week.
2: Okay. So consistency being targeted and precise with the purpose of your content and who you're trying to reach. That's all part of it. And to me, that's all sort of, I don't want to call it app store optimization, but that's strategies for content production and producing organic growth. Mm -hmm. Just being available and being consistent and having a product people know they can rely on is important. Absolutely. So I'm just wondering, once you have the content you're putting it in the app store, how else are you promoting it so people can find it? Where else do you talk about your content?
1: So our content is multi-channel. We've experimented a bit with dual publishing, not only in the App Store and through other podcatchers. I still don't like that term. (laughs) What's a podcatcher? A podcatcher is a place in which you can find podcasts. So Stitcher, and there's a million different variants out there. Basically, when you're distributing your podcast, you publish it out to an RSS feed. And because of the tags you use within that RSS feed, pod catchers everywhere, including iTunes and others know you exist. Once they know you exist, then you can submit it to iTunes for review and acceptance. Also the same for Spotify and Google Music. And then you have what I would consider now in 2018, your base is covered. So Spotify, Google Music, and iTunes, and still iTunes probably makes up, I believe, around 45% of our listenership, depending on what subject matter we're talking about. We see a slight skew away from iTunes in the more math and science heavy segments.
2: That's interesting. iTunes is about 60% of our listeners.
1: Well, there you go. So it's a large portion, no matter what subject matter you're in, but there seems to be a device bias depending on your segment, which I always find something interesting to learn. So that's kind of your basic distribution. Beyond that, you can also dual submit to other services, meaning that once you publish to your RSS feed, you can also do things like publish to YouTube. And really the hosts we use, and this is not a paid endorsement, it's just who we use, is Libsyn. We find them to be both most reliable and have the most robust statistics, although Google and Apple are each making strides to improving those but Lipson in my mind and I think for most people that you will speak to is kind of the gold standard
2: that's who we use I'm a big fan of Lipson Also not a paid promotion.
1: (laughs) And their customer service is fantastic. So when a client contacts us and says, now, where the heck is my podcast? We can't find it. We'll have five minutes response time from the Lipson team. If there's technical issues, something like that. Stuff happens on the internet more often than not. Client's phone is turned off or something like that. An easy problem to resolve, but they're there for us if we need them. Promise Lipson didn't pay us for that. That's just been my experience.
2: (laughs) Okay. So getting the content out there, getting it out in multiple different channels, or let's call them podcatchers, obviously a big part of growth. Any other tips for how to get attention pointed towards your podcast?
1: So that's the distribution method, I guess. And when thinking about how to get mindshare or listenership, different ways to promote it. I mean, certainly if you have existing media entities, it needs to be promoted heavily through all of those channels that you have. Certainly promote through those, whether that's social media channels, even traditional web pages, whatever the case may be, make sure that any channel that you are active on and makes sense for your target listener, I guess that's the more important piece is be where your target listener is if you're targeting teenagers, you're probably not going to want to go ahead and throw your podcast only on Facebook. So just more fundamental marketing applies here. Be where your customers are, be where your listeners are. Same idea. As far as ways to accelerate that, we found that Reddit is a superb place to find niche communities that line up with the content that we produce we're always very transparent when we're posting things there because one, it's the ethical thing to do. And two, I'm pretty sure if anybody ever found out, they'd like haunt us for years afterwards. If we were trying to clandestine, oh, check out this podcast I just found. Instead, we're just like, hey, we made this. And usually the reception is super warm as long as it's in content.
2: Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi, who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, Reddit's a good channel for organic. We've also experimented with some paid advertising. I've mentioned on the podcast a few times using a service called Adnit, which is a way to get in front of podcast listeners while they're listening to podcasts. Also tried some AdWords and some Facebook ads. Have you toyed around with paid advertising? We have.
1: Even when customer acquisition costs were lower, so before some of the ripples from the privacy concerns and the associated pay-per-click increase as a result of those, We found that generally speaking, it wasn't a cost effective way of bringing in listenership. Largely, once we got to a certain size, advertisers cared somewhat what our numbers were, but not a ton. So if you're just starting out and you're trying to get your first thousand listeners or whatever the case, maybe it makes sense to pay to acquire those and get Mindshare. I can see that. But at a certain point, and that point is going to vary depending on what industry you're in, because that's going to determine how much people are willing to pay you for those listeners. This doesn't make financial sense to pay for those. However, what I will say is a more effective method for generating listenership is capturing information through a different top of funnel and marketing to those people, our podcast. Again, back to the layering approach where It's a lot easier to capture an email than it is to get somebody to subscribe or like or think about your podcast. Because if you think about it, when people are listening to podcasts, they're not generally looking at pay-per-click ads. So my virtue, it's going to kind of give you unfavorable conversion rates in my mind, at least.
2: It goes back to what you were talking about with podcasts being positioned in the middle of the funnel, where you can market someone to do an email capture a specific product, and then you're using your podcast to re-engage with them and stay engaged with them as opposed to leading with your podcast.
1: And the other piece of that on the topic of being where your listener is, is we've experimented with cross promotions and that sort of thing. And Cross-promotion in this case being like, we'll plug somebody else's podcast while they'll plug our podcast. And even if the demographics lined up, I think it's not as effective as that top of funnel approach, but it is a good way to make relationships with great people, other podcasters or other subject matter experts. And one thing I will say is it's probably more worthwhile if you're earlier on in your podcasting journey, if you can hook up with folks and do a cross-promotion or something like that. Just be sure that your interests are aligned is the best advice I could give on that one.
2: Any other best practices for reaching out to podcasters to try to be on their show?
1: The best advice I would have is just shoot them an email because most podcasters I know have a considerable amount of their time when they're working on their podcast dedicated to guest search. (laughs) Finding the right guest. Finding the right guest. So I would think especially those small and even some of the medium sized podcasts, you'll very easily be able to appear on those and even some of the larger ones. The only reason I'd make that qualifying statement is you have a spectacular life. You're not going to probably be able to make a cold email to somebody like Tim Ferriss, who has several million listeners per episode, and say, hey, Tim, I'll be on your show. Lucky you. <laughs> Dear Joe Rogan, I'm free for three hours on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome, right? <laughs> Joe or Tim, if you're listening, call me anytime, man. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be on Friday, Joe. I'm just ready. <laughs> exactly. But that's not to say don't stretch. I've been surprised with some people that's invited me to be join them on their shows and that sort of thing. So I'm always happy to chat with people and people that are podcasters are fairly outgoing and friendly people to begin with. So I think I've only gotten one or two cold prickly emails back. (laughs) It's all part of the game. Exactly.
2: So let's turn our attention away from growing a podcast. It's being active in the community, whether it's the podcast community or the community that's the subject of your content publishing regularly, all seem like very logical ways to grow a podcast and talk about some of the ways that you're taking advantage of having an audience. You mentioned you're doing lead generation and then also looking for sponsorships. What do we talk about lead generation first? How, once you have a podcast audience, are you leveraging that to get them to take action?
1: Fortunately, without much effort, many people just reach out to us on their own initiation. And occasionally we have call to actions at the very front of the entrepreneurship podcast, a 15 second pre-roll, something like that. But largely people contact us because they like what we've done and they want to do either something similar with that or partner with that in some way. Usually they come to our door with a degree of excitement and happiness to be working with us. So that was a pleasant realization when the first person came to us and say, hey, how can we work with you? That was a aha moment, if you will.
2: I'm looking forward to it. We've had a few people listen to the podcast and reach out and give us some feedback and give their appreciation. But for the record, if anybody is interested in working with us in the MarTech podcast, yes, this is a shameless plug. We're actively looking for sponsors and ways to contribute back to the community. So uh, hopefully someday we'll be at that point.
1: Absolutely. So we've been fortunate to have that happen to us.
2: Let me ask you, was there a point where you would, I don't know if I could call it critical mass, but when did people start reaching out to you? Was there a milestone or a podcast download mark when you started getting some inbound interest?
1: That's an interesting question because it's been all over the map for us for excellent entrepreneurship. It was actually before we had launched. Somebody had seen the rest of our work and said, you're doing this, I'd like to get it on ground floor. So a sponsor came to us day one, essentially. So that is in high contrast to people behind the science, where we had been doing it for about a year before people started coming to us. And that also lined up to when podcasts started becoming more of a normal thing in marketing mix. So I think that was the other big piece of that. Mm -hmm. From what I can see now, it wouldn't be unreasonable to think about three to six months But largely, that's going to be one, how good of a job you're doing on growing your podcast and making sure it's getting out there and talking about it. That's actually my weak point is I don't talk about what we're doing enough. And then two is it's almost luck of the draw, you know, do you have the perfect listener that was like, hello, I run a science company, I would like to sponsor a science podcast, it's going to be somewhat of a numbers game. So I guess that in some ways leads back to the first point, grow your audience as best you can and do good to them. Because the more audience members you have, the more likely that right person is going to be in there.
2: If you build it, they will come.
1: <laughs> if you built it they're probably already there, which is nice. I'll <laughs> modify that slightly. <laughs> so As far as growing pains when talking with sponsors and that sort of thing, I think over time people have evolved in how they're thinking about sponsorships. And this is still very non-traditional to the people that we speak to. They're not used to doing media sponsorships of entire series or something like that, or entire episodes. So they're really unsure about what a sponsorship actually consists of, who does what. We try to make it as painless as possible I learned that being explicitly clear in what's going to happen and when is very helpful, just basic project management tools, but just being clear of what a sponsorship gets them, how that can fit into their bottom line, and what you'll probably run into a lot of also if you're doing pitches is... They're really excited. They really want to do it, but then they don't have the budget for it this year. So the growth cycle is next year they'll come back to because they budgeted it in because they just don't have a line item for sponsorship of media.
2: For the people that are interested in doing media sponsorships, give us a sense of the rates and what's the expected output out of them.
1: That will really, really depend on industry as far as the effective rate. So Input can be anywhere from if it's a small show that perhaps is super niche or it's just starting out, that could be as little as a couple hundred per episode, a hundred per episode. And small in this case is maybe a thousand listeners, 2000 listeners, something like that. As it ramps up, it gets larger. I would say certainly some niches demand more of a higher price point than others. Science is higher just because the products they're selling are more expensive. Mm -hmm. So we were speaking with a particular sponsor and we laid out a price that we thought was really high because it was early on and we weren't really sure what to price it at, candidly. And we threw out a price that we're like, oh yeah, they'll cut it in half and then we'll be happy with that. And they said, okay, sounds good. And we're like, what? (laughs) Where do I find your listeners? Right? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to everyone listening. You're wonderful. (laughs) Ben has not been listening. got to treasure those listeners. Every one of you is important. I cherish you. (laughs) I do. I
2: do. We're still in growth phase. We haven't even started thinking about monetization, which is honestly one of the reasons why I'm asking these questions is we stated at the beginning of this quarter that part of the focus for the podcast was learning about podcasts and learning about monetization. And honestly, like when we did our AdWords tests, the keywords that people were clicking on to find the podcast were how to start podcasting. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I'm digging in so deep here is my assumption is that a lot of our audience is interested in the topic and the monetization for how a podcast gets to revenue and We're early on and still focused on growth and just starting to think about monetization. The interesting thing to me as you're talking is that you're not pricing your sponsorships in terms of a CPM, right? It's not a cost per download. You're just saying it's a dollar per episode.
1: The reason why we focus on that is largely it's driven by CPM. However, CPM rates are fairly low and basically people value podcasts more than the CPMs currently bear based on what we're seeing there. And there's services out there certainly that once you get to a certain size, you can contact them and they'll hook you up with sponsors and your CPM is around $25, something like that. We've had substantially higher CPM rates than that because going back to the example of the science piece, if they sell one piece of equipment, their pieces of equipment are five million dollars plus They could have sponsored our show many, many, many times over on that one sale. And the lifetime value of a particular customer might be in the tens of millions. So making personalized pitches with a clear understanding of your recipient's business model and basically, what's the potential return on investment and not one of these cheesies? Oh, it's evergreen content. So it's infinite. No, 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 no. Just be like, based on the market factors we see here, your lifetime value of the customer, all these different factors. Here's the bottom line. Here's what we think. And we're very conservative with these particular estimations. And we've always overdelivered, which is why people come back.
2: And is there a conversion per download that you can factor in to figure out how valuable the podcast is to a sponsor?
1: Over time, you can get that just based on redemption codes, which are sort of notoriously bad. Just because of how podcasts work during ad rolls, they'll say, use code Tim at address slash TEM for a 10% discount, whatever the case may be what they're doing there is trying to track their conversions. But the thing is, people are listening in the car, or they're sweating it out in the gym, or they're working on the lab bench or whatever they're doing, they're not going to order whatever that thing is more than likely at that time. And they'll just remember that thing. So it's a little bit tougher to get hard metrics on conversion rates. That said, you can accept that depending on the audience, the conversion rate can be anywhere from like, 0.25 on the low end to like one, maybe 3% on the high end. And that's going to get lower as your audience gets larger. The people that are going to be your listeners early on are going to be your fanatics. And assuming you designed the show correctly, they're going to be the ones that convert.
2: To the roughly 5,000 people that are going to be listening to this show this month, thank you for being our fanatics, even if you're not our sponsors yet.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And to encourage those that are listening... There's even stories that I've seen and people that I've met where they've launched a podcast with a lead sponsor, having no podcast, no personal presence, anything like that. Now, those are certainly the edge cases. And I would assume those are almost universally business relationships they had from other lines of business, other neighbor, John, whatever but it's certainly possible to launch with a sponsor too. And in fact, we don't start a new show now unless we've had somebody underwriting it or we have a sponsor lined up because it just doesn't make sense to dilute our attention.
2: When you say underwriting it, what do you mean by that?
1: Underwriting is a nice way of saying to fund it.
2: Got it. Somebody else paying for the production of your content.
1: Exactly. Okay.
2: Okay. So as we talk about monetization, there's the idea of finding a strategic sponsor, which it sounds like you've been successful at, and you're using promotion codes to drive adoption of whatever their products are, or at least to monitor what their products are. Then there's also the notion of monetizing your podcast through pure advertising. Tell us what you have to do to go find enterprise level advertisers.
1: I think finding those types of advertisers is sometimes very easy and sometimes very challenging. It all depends on the gatekeepers around them. Generally, you need to be speaking to a very senior level marketing officer or even better at business owner or chief executive officer. The reason being, you need to get people excited about it at the top. And that's how you can do a larger project. We have had occasional success with somebody saying, hey, I work for company X. They were talking about doing a podcast, I think, a few weeks back in some all hands meeting we were in. Would you like me to introduce you to who was talking? So occasionally, it's an earlier career individual that introduces us. But more often than not, getting buy-in from the top is just really the only way to introduce a podcasting sponsorship or advertising into an organization Occasionally, we can go through ad buyers, but universally by the time that the check gets down to us after the cut of the management fee in the middle and everything, the CPMs that are negotiated down, it just doesn't really become a worthwhile endeavor for us because we're not knocking down 5 million listeners per episode, something like that. So until you really scale up, finding advertisers that are excited about your show or about the content or about you as an individual is really going to be the way to go unless you want a sub-minimum wage payment out of it.
2: A less than $10 CPM.
1: Yes, (laughs) that would be generous. So if you're rocking a 1,000 or 2,000 listeners and you get a 10 CPM, that's 20 bucks per episode. It probably takes you, what, anywhere from four to nine hours to produce an episode, up to 40 hours if it's a bigger episode. Yeah, that's maybe a $1.50 an hour. So we try to stay away from propositions like that, especially for the earlier shows on the timeline and as far as identifying potential advertisers certainly look at any conferences or trade shows that are run or attended by your listeners and see who's either sponsored or has booths at those locations because those people are generally very willing to spend some cash there once you say 5000 people will listen to this well shoot we paid $900 to go to a trade show with only 300 people that sort of thing so it's a way to frame it that's a little bit easier than saying, hey, I run a podcast. Do you want to advertise on it? It just doesn't work as well if you don't have that framework. Mm-hmm.
2: Makes sense. I'm glad to hear you say that because a lot of what I was hearing was we built an audience. They reach out to us. They have been our sponsors. You just have to wait for them to come and a lot of my approach as a marketer is let's try to get this up and scaled and running quickly so we can get to monetization. And truthfully, I've invested in building this podcast to try to build an audience with A, the hope of reaching people and educating them on how MarTech works and what are the various channels, but also with the hopes of invest now to get to monetization quickly to get to scale.
1: Absolutely. And to touch back on that, just to clarify... A large number of our podcast episodes go unsponsored just simply because we found the rate of return for us not to be as good as doing traditional sales for other services. So to that end, you need to understand the economics at a macro level of what you're doing. And I sympathize with what you're saying, Ben, because for the first year, People Behind the Science was completely out of my own pocket. And it was because it was something I was passionate about and that I believed in and that I thought had a greater business purpose, too. So it's certainly not an easy prospect always. And especially if you're not picking up the phone, if you pick up the phone, you'll have better results. Just be prepared for a lot of confusion.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's great. And to summarize, there's a couple of things that people that are interested in podcasting can take with them. Go where your listeners are. Be consistent about building your content leverage your audience and build a good, consistent audience, and they will produce sponsorship and revenue opportunities, but also be active in the community that your topic covers and reach out to podcasters and potential sponsors through that channel. It seems like that's the path to monetization, according to Michael Green.
1: It is the path to monetization with the greatest leverageable opportunities. Let's put it that way.
2: Great. Okay. That wraps up this episode of the Martech podcast. Thanks to Michael Green for joining us. If you're interested in learning more about Michael and Unfold Productions, go to unfoldnow.com. A special thanks to Searchmetrics for sponsoring our podcast. If you're looking to grow your online presence, go to searchmetrics.com to request your free tour of their platform. If you'd like to read the transcript of this podcast, we've published it on martechpod.com. And if you're a subscriber to the Martech podcast, thank you for being part of our early group of fanatics. We want you to feel like a member of our community. So if you have questions, comments, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, According to Michael, if you'd like to sponsor the show, feel free to reach out to us directly. You can find a contact form on martechpod.com. You can reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn. The handle is ben J. Schapp, LLC. That's B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P-L-L-C. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we've got great episodes lined up in the next few weeks. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your podcast feed in no time. That's it for today. Thanks again to our guest, Michael Green. And until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.